culture is something so many of us yearn for. And as Africans in this nation, often our story is told that our culture begins with slavery. But as a proud Cameroonian, that is a narrative I refuse to accept. Today we have on the show, Sister Adjua, who believed that black people are so much more than shea butter and t-shirts. So she decided to create a dinnerware brand. So sit back and tune in, because this is the Voices of Black Folk podcast. Hello and welcome to another amazing episode of the Voices of Black Folk podcast. Today I have with us um, my sister, Ajua, the uh, creator and curator of Cultured Kitchens. And so before we get started, Ajua, just tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came about this idea. Yeah, well, thank you. So yeah, my name is Ajua and Cultured Kitchens really came out of a space that I wasn't even interested in. I know nothing about plates. Um, I am <laughs> historically in the mental health Field, and I do corporate compliance for mental health agencies. That's the day job, right? So doing plates and all of that was something that really came left field. And to be honest, it wasn't even my idea. Um, the idea came from Killer Mike's trigger warning Netflix special about two years ago. Um, and within the first 10 minutes while he was trying to buy black for 30 days, he realized that he couldn't use his plates. He couldn't use his cups. And they had this really great conversation about the inability to diversify in the black community because, or circle the dollar because we don't have the diversification of product. Mm. So all we have is uh, t-shirts, shea butter, hair products, beard oil. And so I really wanted to there create a product that would be something that would be distinctive, but also add some diversity to a market where you don't see us. Mm. So that is all of everything behind Cultured Kitchens. And two and a half years later, we're still here. That's fascinating. So take us back. And so I actually remember uh, not watching that specific episode, but mm -hmm. um, watching um, partial of it. And, you know, the difficulty, because when we think about buying Black, we don't realize, one, how difficult it is, and two, mm. how, you know, although there's so many different um Black-owned shops and they do a variety of different things. There's mm -hmm. not, it's not like we have an Amazon or like a um yeah. or an app to to find them. And so walk us through your process of um watching that, being inspired, and going into something that you just, as you just mentioned, you had no idea or thought process mm -hmm. behind. Behind. Yeah. And you know what? I believe that God puts puts things in you that you're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Right. So the very funny thing is I was watching that same special with other friends of mine and now in conversation, they didn't even hear or didn't even get that nugget. Right. Mm. So that whole belief that what is for you is for you. Mm -hmm. I truly resonate with. And, you know, to start with, it was something that was, can this even be possible? Mm -hmm. Are there even Black folk that make dinnerware? Um, mm. How do you go about making dinnerware, right? It's something that we don't think about, but we use every day, more than once a day. So it really started uh, from a research perspective. Um, and when you research into dinnerware, you realize it's really only owned by four families that have been in the dinnerware industry since the 1700s. So in, in just understanding the longevity of being able to create a product that 100 years from now could have that same type of stability 
but it also could offer more to our people than those t-shirts, right? Because mm -hmm. Black people are more than t-shirts. We're more than what we wear. We are so much um, spice and sauce and culture in so many other aspects that I think mm -hmm. sometimes that gets lost. So I really wanted to resonate with finding a product and creating a product that did that. I will tell you that now, if I knew that making plates was gonna be, uh, you know, porcelain 100%, it ain't no cheap business. So, <laughs> so you definitely, uh, that was a learning experience, but mm -hmm. I believe that that culture deserves quality, right? Mm -hmm. And we deserve quality and we deserve something that, that has our name on it that we can speak to. So, you know, my passion for loving my people from a very young age, I was, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, history, African American history major in undergrad. So this has been something that I've always wanted to give back, mm -hmm. and I thought this would be a really interesting way to do that. And that's fascinating because so um, for those of you listening in, the way Ajo and I actually met was a couple of months back. Um, Ernie Leisure hosted um, Invest Fest in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And as I'm walking through during um, the separation of sessions, I'm walking through the different displays and I come across these um, plates. Again, not my forte. This is strict. <laughs> if it wasn't for my wife, I would still be eating off of Ikea plates. Yeah. But I say, and I saw, I see these patterns and as somebody from the continent, you know, Cameroon, you know, it, it unveiled on me that, yo, like, when I think about like things that represent my culture, mm -hmm. I go automatically to clothing, right? Because like our garbs, our ashwabis, our um, geles, or the different uh, things that represent us. But think, but what do we use on a daily basis? And so I stopped and had a conversation about, you know, tell me the idea behind this. So I know um, the different uh, plates, different um, patterns, they're geared after different um, parts of the continent. So talk talk to us a little bit about that. What inspired that? Where did that come from? And what, what was it about those particular cultures that you wanted to pull out of? Sure. No, that's great. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that's one thing that we really pride ourselves on is all of our plates um, have authentic Bogolanfini print or mud cloth print. Mm -hmm. so, and explain what that is for our listeners that sure. might not be aware. So mud cloth print um, is essentially, mud cloth is, is a print that has gone through a labor intensive process um, where it, the clay comes from the earth, it is dried in the sun, and it's actually something that is historic to the Mali people mm. from the continent. So we really took the time in making sure all the symbols actually meant something, the lines and dashes meant something, because we are an intentional people. We come from intentional ancestors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we found on the market were these African-inspired, right? Mm -hmm. So it was mud cloth-ish. It was a dash, a line, a dot, a triangle, but there was no real understanding of really what you were saying and the messaging behind that. Mm -hmm. So we took time to make sure that we researched all of the symbols. So we have three different patterns and each pattern has a different story. And to your point, goes to a different part of the continent. Mm -hmm. So our Zulu pattern um, is fashioned after the Zulu beadwork, which is a beautiful um, mother, daughter, ancestral kind of a lineage where they communicate mm -hmm. stories through their beadwork. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, it's specifically triangles and angles, and it's a message between the wife and the warrior. Mm. Give it to your warrior before he leaves for battle. And it's this, you know, intricate message between her and him that he has, you know, as he's away from home. So that story really resonated with us. And we really wanted to make sure we said that. Uh, so our Nzinga and our Asada pattern, both of those come from the Mali empire as well. So we believe that our people didn't start off in the slave ship. Mm, our history didn't it. start off at the hall of, you know, the bottom of the Amistad. We were kings and queens and palaces long before then. So we really wanted to make sure that those two patterns resonated that revolutionary elegance that we have. Because every kingdom did not just succumb to enslavement. Mm. You know, a whole lot of them fought as well. And sometimes those stories are lost. So Queen Nzinga from the Angola people was one of those fierce warriors who fought the Polish establishment of bringing enslavement into her country. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that we told her story as well as a great Asada Shakur. You know, if you don't know about the Black Panther who escaped um, being in prison to now live in Cuba, that story within itself just resonated. Mm -hmm. So to your point with the patterns, everything that we have done has been extremely intentional, just like our ancestors, because we wanted to make sure on the market, when you saw something, you saw yourself. Mm -hmm. And to your point, we made sure they were eye-catching. You cannot walk past it without stopping because we believe being intentional will really resonate that story. Absolutely. And you just mentioned two things that I like, I don't want to, I don't want people to miss, right? Number one, you said there are a lot of things on the market that are Africanist. Mm -hmm. As an African, as a Cameroonian, <laughs> one of the biggest pet peeves I have is when people are like, oh, tell me about African culture. First and foremost, Africa is a continent, a it's continent. not a country. <laughs> it's the yeah. second largest continent at that. And you have a variety of different cultures. Mm -hmm. Nigeria is vastly different from Cameroon. South Africa yeah. is vastly different from Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Egypt is vastly, um, different from Uganda and the fact that you um and and that's the and the second piece to that was our history does not begin with slavery right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. one thing um as you were talking and I was thinking about when I saw these plates and I saw these different patterns I thought about story um storytelling right mm -hmm. because even when we go back to slavery the way our history was passed down was through the art of storytelling that um, derived the story. yeah. exactly derived a lot from the um, different co countries in West Africa, whether it was Ghana, Nigeria, um, Niger, mm -hmm. and a plethora of other places of who we are and and whose we are, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think you know it's so fundamentally important that we often remember that, and often remember that you know, and. Oh, this is this is getting me excited. <laughs> but it takes me back to one of my favorite um, Yoruba phrases, mm. and it says, um, the English translation uh, from it is, if the story is always told in the perspective of the hunter, the hunter mm. will always be glorified, and the uh, mm. lion will always be demonized. And as Black yeah. people in this country, we've always allowed our narrative and our stories to be told by others, and so we're always mm -hmm. demonized. And they're always, uh, and yeah. we're always vilified. And so, um, mm -hmm. so, so to that point, so 
uh, talk about because I can imagine starting a business like you, you mentioned. Um, you know, it's it's not the cheapest thing to start off. Yeah, so it ain't t-shirt. <laughs> so so tell, tell us a little bit about that process because I'm really interested to know like what that process was from inception to like, all right, let's actually create a product and get that product out there on the market. Yeah, and that's a, a great question. It's really um, ingenuity mixed with just sure-footedness of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that I wanted to do plates and nobody, you know, believed in plates, right? Mm-hmm. So in my first uh, kind of going out there, I was asking for some assistance from family and friends. But, you know, how do you tell your, uh, us, we folk, hey, y'all, can you give me some money? Because I want to print on some plates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it wasn't their vision, so they couldn't resonate with it. Mm-hmm. So I actually started the business. I, I financed it myself 100%. Mm. Um, and it really was researching where to find manufacturers, where to even find people that made plates. Um, there's a whole hierarchy of the type of plates you want. If you want porcelain or stoneware or dinner, and it's, um, you know, it's almost like once you go down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. uh, you can get lost. Right. So I really started researching the business I wanted to get into. I was able to find my first manufacturer was in Canada. Um, and not understanding um, price point, I was paying an absorbent amount just to get one little plate printed. Mm. Uh, and when you're paying so much, you can't, you know, really make a profit. So this is where that whole growing pains of understanding a business, trying to find places that will be able to service you. Um, and a lot of people go to Alibaba, right? And Alibaba, and we kind of have a term in our business um, that we aren't Alibaba. Right, because that is kind of the place everyone goes to. You see the same thing with a different name or different logo. It doesn't give you that authentic um, quality type of feel. Mm -hmm. And so it took us about a year and a half to find our current manufacturer, which is in Prague. So we took the time and the energy to be able to cultivate the relationship. And Prague actually has a very historical history of making um, actual dinnerware. Mm. So Prague is makes our dinnerware, but everything else from when they come here to the U.S. is touched and hand printed by a black woman. Mm. Even our manufacturer in Prague is a small family-owned business that is owned by women. Mm. So we wanted to make sure that just as we were intentional about the patterns, we were intentional about the process too. So from dirt to your plate and to your hand to your table it's touched by a woman a woman of color mm-hmm. we wanted to really offer those products mm-hmm. and I think sometimes just even with our people we always think about the service industry of stuff we we cook the food we do the hair we paint the nails but when it comes to the product-based side you don't see us so often mm-hmm. so while we cook the food we may not be the ones actually making the seasonings or making the plates So we wanted to really make sure that we were able to tell that story. So it's been an awesome experience. It's still, I'm still learning every day. I I still say, I know nothing about plates. Um, We just came out with flatware and utensils a couple of months ago, and I'm learning about a whole nother field of uh, dinnerware that I didn't even think was possible. So yeah, if you don't love it and it's not for you, you're not going to be uh, intricately involved in all it Mm -hmm. takes to understand because it, it definitely is not t-shirts. It's not body butter. It's mm-hmm. not sexy all the time. It's, you know, 
place. <laughs> and so I have a lot of conversations with a lot of entrepreneurs and one um, one common theme is the growing pains and the struggles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what has been the growing pains in Culture Kitchens, what has been the struggles, um, and more specifically, those days that, you know, things might not just be going your way. It's like, you know what, this has been cool, but maybe it's time to close up shop. Cause I'm sure you, you, you've gone through that. So just walk us through like, um, just those different scenarios. Yeah, no, that, that close up shop is a, is a every other day feeling to be, mm. you know, 100 with you. It's, you know, the highs of we're doing excellent today to the lows of, you know, no one is resonating with what we're trying to say. Nobody wants to buy plates. It, so those growing pains are, are kind of an everyday, um, occurrence. If I had to have a, you know, to this point, what's really been our largest challenge um, is educating the community Mm. um, has really been our largest challenge, Mm. right? So it's having those conversations is why you should even care about your plates. Mm. Um, And it's being able to have those conversations because to your point, if it wasn't for your beautiful wife, you'd still be eating off Ikea. There's a lot of people who (laughs) we've said, hey, you know, I eat off paper plates. So I get my plates from Walmart or I get my plates from the dollar store. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to educate our community about the heirloom quality, the investment, that it's, it is an asset um, when you purchase a good set of plates, mm-hmm. um, how you're able to utilize that to tell the story continuously in your family. That's really been our biggest you know, hurdle, honestly, because um, we are an extremely new brand, one of the very few dinnerware brands in the black space market and the only one that manufactures and curates their own products. So in that people, I don't think always understand or expect to see us. So in those spaces where we've been the only color, um, getting that respect, um, a couple of trade shows, we have been the only uh, face of color there. And uh, because we are a new dinnerware brand amongst these very stated, very old brands, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a level of respect that you don't get. Let's just be honest about it. They, they, you know, you're here today, gone tomorrow in their, in their sense. Mm-hmm. So really trying to educate our own community, but then gain that respect within the larger dinnerware community because we are so new and look so beautifully different mm-hmm. has been our largest growing pain. And I think just for any entrepreneur, um, the difference between those who do, who do and those who cannot is the drive and consistency behind it. Mm-hmm. So it does require that the quiet nights of consistency, as I call them, where it's not mm-hmm. sexy and you can't post about it um, and you don't have a meme to show you're doing it, but at the end is really where the work pays off. So, you know, my why is, is being able to create freedom. So in those moments when I want to quit because, you know, plates break <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and life happens, you got to remember that. And that's what we try to do. Absolutely. And so, one thing that you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I want to make sure that I don't miss this point, is you're expanding not only from plates, but to dinnerware, um, to mm-hmm. spoons, forks, knives, serving uh, utensils. And yeah. um, and I believe the last time we spoke, you talked about, you know, because um, you, you you spoke about the Mali Empire, you, talk, you spoke mm-hmm. about the Zulu Empire. So what other areas around the continent are you thinking about, like, pulling inspiration from and why? And why? Excellent. So we, as you, you mentioned, the Molly collection, we have our, our Molly design is our mm-hmm. newest design that, that it's the complete collection will come out during mm-hmm. the holiday season. Um, we really want to want to reach all regions of the continent. 
mm-hmm. um, because as you said, Africa is a continent, not a country. And we actually have a t-shirt that says that because so many people put it in this very small box mm-hmm. and there's five regions of this beautiful continent that have so many different eclectic cultural things about mm-hmm. them. Um, that that needs to be exposed and shared. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to get into Ethiopia within the next couple of months. Um, we're, we're really looking to get into South Africa and those vibrant green colors and yellows mm-hmm. that they have. Because we really want to be able to tell that story mm-hmm. you know, for, for our own people here in the, the American continent who don't always have that grasp of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are looking to expand to the Caribbean, um, and, and also be able to showcase just the history of African-American culture here mm-hmm. um, from the Geechee Islands down to New Orleans, because there's mm-hmm. some flavor that we have here at home that I think sometimes gets lost as well, where you clump all Black folk into one monolithic example. So <laughs> we are definitely looking to be able to tell those experiences and those stories throughout the continent and, and throughout the world. Fantastic. And so one thing that, you know, I often think about is this idea of not only breaking into a new space, but staying relevant. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us a little bit about relevancy and how do you stay relevant? Again, you mentioned that there are four major families that really own this whole Mm -hmm. um, market sector. So not only breaking into the space, but how do you stay relevant within the space? Sure. Yeah, we really try to stay what true to what our consumers want. And our consumers mm-hmm. are, are emerging, they're, they're new to this, to this even mm-hmm. idea, right? Um, our, our rev- we call them the revolutionary warriors. They are really that modern age, new money. So mm-hmm. many of our people are, are first in their families to be able to experience a level of success that we've been able to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so what success looks like is changing. Mm-hmm. And that's really who our customer is. Is, and so we want to make sure that we're true to what they want and desire and maintaining uh, our values and goals as an organization. So we don't change. People are like, you want to add some color? Yeah, probably not. Um, we're, we're really going to make sure that we maintain true mm-hmm. to what we wanted to do. And that's really tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to, and we try and staying relevant. Um, is, is collecting those stories from our customers. So mm-hmm. we ask our VIP subscribers to send us their stories about your family. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing about family stories is it never gets old. Mm. It's always new. Mm. Um, and so being able to share those stories is never going to go out of style. It's never going to change. So coupling that with a great experience over some wonderful food plated on some great dinnerware is a story that we're able to reinvent um, and revolutionize time and time again. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're not competing with those four staple brands, you know, they've been here for hundreds of years, there's a level of competition that you're not going to have, mm-hmm. but we really believe in a market sector and, and our con- customer is looking for something that looks like them. Mm. We look like them. We understand what they want. Um, and so everything that we do is really with them in mind. And so that's been able, uh, been the main thing that's been able to keep us relevant in kind of this dated market. Absolutely. So aside from just purchasing these amazing pieces of art, mm-hmm. how how can the average everyday person support this movement that you're spearheading? Yes, I love that. Well, they can definitely get more information on our website <laughs> at culturedkitchens.com. That's culture with the K and kitchens mm-hmm. with an S. 
Um, we have some wonderful nonprofit products um, or partnerships that we're coming out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2022, we're starting an etiquette class because we mm. believe etiquette in class is still needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're making sure and partnering with churches to be able to offer those etiquette classes to those uh, marginalized communities. Um, so we have some great things that are coming up. You can definitely check us out on our website. Um, you can check us out on Instagram at cultured.kitchens, cultured mm-hmm. with a K, kitchens with an S. Mm-hmm. And it's cultured.kitchens at all of your social media, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, <laughs> LinkedIn. We everywhere. We everywhere. So. <laughs> Fantastic. So as we close, the last question that I would love to ask is, as you foreshadow for the future, where do you see yourself five or 10 years from now? Oh, I love that question. Um, five or 10 years from now, I would like to see Culture Kitchens as the premier dinnerware brand in the country. Mm. Um, five years from now, I would like for us to be in the White House. Mm. So yeah, um, there's only been one dinnerware brand that is has showcased at the White House. None of them have been brands of color. So our goal is to get to the White House. And uh, we believe that's possible in the next five years and the next 10 years, we really would like to be that premier brand internationally. Absolutely. Yeah, we got some goals. We we working towards them. Listen, if your goals don't scare you, you're not not dreaming big enough. Uh, I say, isn't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my sister, Adjua, it has been such a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much. We look forward to having you back. Once you do make that step into the White House, don't forget about little old us. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. You'll be first to know. We are excited about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And for all of you out there, this has been another amazing episode of the Voices of Black Folk podcast. Please tune in, listen in, and hear about stories within your community of people changing the narrative of who we are and what we do. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and really took something from it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, like, and share this episode. Our goal on this podcast is to highlight and give a voice to the Black community by bringing phenomenal individuals who are creating and charting paths toward greatness. And through your support, we can continue to change lives. Thanks again. And don't miss the next episode of the Voices of Black Folk podcast. I'm your host, Will Anyu.